Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you'll grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 10 and I promise we're going to get past verse 4 today kind of been stuck at the beginning of Matthew 10. I I saw one person laughing. I appreciate that. But uh, let's jump right in. We're starting with verse 5. It says, uh, "These uh, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or into... I'm going to have a hard time reading. i got a large group of scripture here. So forgive me. For some reason today I'm just stumbling here. So let me start over. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for your journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay in his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town or home. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than that, uh, for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men, for they will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. You will be, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like the master or his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of, uh, of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or, or hidden that will not be made known. When I tell you what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. 
Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. In this chapter, Jesus empowers the 12 disciples. He gives them instructions and, and, and sends them out to, to kind of test their wings, in a sense, to, to kind of test themselves out in, in ministry. Uh, I mean, think about it. They'll go out without Jesus for the very first time. They've been hanging around him for 18 months, following him, watching him do, do pretty much everything. And they would help out here and there. They would bring the, the baskets and the loaves. And they would say, this is all the food we have. And Jesus would do the miracle. Everybody would be fed. All that stuff going on. And they've just kind of been watchers. And ever so often they'd participate. But they don't quite understand what he's pre- prepping them for. And, and you know, they'll... they'll you know, he'll be gone in about 22 months from now. Uh, you know, we, we think, oh, that's a long time, two years, a long time, almost two years. But really, it goes by pretty quick, doesn't it? I mean, it's amazing how, how time flies, literally. And at this point in the progress, he tells them, you need to stay near home. You need to stay around the Jewish people. Don't go to the Gentiles. Just go to Israel. Jesus' goal here is to stretch the disciples as far as they can be stretched. You know, with uh, this is like my son. There's certain things I allow him to do and certain things I don't. When he's around home, he can run around. He can go from one room to another. And believe me, he does. He doesn't stop. Lately, his big deal is, Daddy, stay. Be happy. I go mom. So he goes running to mom. And then he goes to mom and he goes, Mama, be happy. I go to dad. And he goes running to dad. I mean, he just does this. But in the parking lot at Target, I don't allow him to do that. He's not ready to stretch his wings. He doesn't understand the idea of cars coming through and, and, and you know, hitting him or, or you know, the danger that he would be in. It's the same for the disciples. Jesus is saying, stay near the, the Israelites at this point because you don't understand the Gentile world out there yet. So stay near home is, is what he's saying. And they did great things, you know, or they will do great things with the Gentiles, but, but they're not there yet. They've been taught all their lives that hanging out with Gentiles and Samaritans was just, just bad. Just bad. That you just didn't do that if you were a good Jew. But also, Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy. There's an order to what Jesus is doing. It goes all the way from, from Genesis to Revelation where, where God says that he's going to reveal himself to his people that started with Abram. And through Israel, the whole world would know about him. And back in Genesis, is the, the, the scripture I used earlier, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land I show you. He just didn't do this off of a whim. He had a relationship with God. It's not like God just showed up one day and said, leave, follow me. And Abram just goes, okay. No, he had a relationship with him. He built that relationship over time, so therefore he was ready when God said, it's time to go. Abram becomes the father of all the Jews and Arabs. He's definitely revered around the world. We don't talk about Abram and Abraham that much here in America. Uh, you know, we do when we hit it in the scriptures and so forth. But around the world, Abraham is talked about a lot. The Lord's intention was to bless Abram. Unfortunately, Abram had a couple of feuding sons. It didn't work out too well. And they're still fighting today, and you, you see that with the Islamic uh, uh, mentality versus the Jewish mentality and the, and the war, the, the actual just hatred that's going on there. And that will not, you know, we all just say, well, can't we just have peace in the Middle East? You know, let's send John Kerry, let's send whoever the Secretary of State is, doesn't matter Republican or, or Democrat, let's just send them over there because if we can just get along, if we can just sign a peace agreement well, I tell you, it's never, I mean, they can sign whatever they want. There will never be peace until God settles it in the end. That's what the Word of God says. That's what we believe. So you can have all the talking heads. I love news. You can have all the talking heads saying whatever they want. It's just never going to happen. Now, we'll go through periods of peace, but then it's going to start right back up. So don't think that that's going to solve anything. But God has an idea. He's going to go to the Jews first. And then he goes out to the world. In fact, in John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave, gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Jesus came not just to save the Jews, but to save the world, and he was using the Jews to try to do that. And this goes all the way to Revelations where it says, After I looked and, uh, there and before me a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb of God, or in front of the Lamb. If you go back and read Isaiah 40 to 55, you know, uh, you know most of that was written 700 years before, before uh, Jesus, uh, the book of Isaiah. And he, he writes that uh, through Israel, the whole world would be revealed to God, that they would see God. Now, I don't think Israel has ever fully embraced this. Do you? If you know your history at all, if you studied your Bible... The Jewish people have never, they've kind of done this whole mind thing, you know, mind, 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 don't touch it. It's fun to watch Brandon when we have other kids come over the house because he's torn, because he wants to play with the kids, but they got his toy, and that's all of a sudden his favorite toy. He doesn't want to let go of that toy, and he's just like, and he's looking at us and looking at the toy and looking at the kid. He didn't know what to do, the, the whole mind mentality. That's amazing to watch. I mean, luckily, he doesn't freak out too much. He's kind of relaxed a little bit. We have to go, hey, it's, it's okay. They're just going to play with it for a little while. They're not taking it home, you know, all those things. Try to calm them down as a parent. But that's what Israel's done. God is mine. This is mine. No, you can't have my God. No, God is, God is going to bless us, not you. And they, they, they forgot the whole thing that God was going to work through them to change the world. And that's the mentality that we need to have. They miss the blessing part. They miss the, them being the blessing to the world. Not through material things, but tr- through the truth of God, through the truth of the one who's called Yahweh, who was sending a Messiah, and that that Messiah was going to show his love to all people. And I don't think the Jewish people grasped that. So by the time Jesus came, there was this extreme prejudice against everybody else who was in the world. Hey, we're the chosen people, you're not. And you're not going to heaven with us. That was the attitude. And the only way that you could ever get there was to convert to Judaism. That's what was going on by the time Jesus came. It was an interesting thing. Jesus comes and reveals himself to the Jews and works through them, first to Israel, He comes to the Jews, and he was a Jew. And through his 12 disciples, who are all Jewish, he sends them out to the lost sheep. Well, who are the lost sheep? The Jews to begin with. They've lost their way. But later on, he expands this ministry, and and after his crucifixion and ascension up to heaven, he leaves the Holy Spirit, and he tells his disciples to go into the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Now, how many of you have Jewish blood in you? Anyone? Okay. We have one amongst us. Do we cast him out? No, we don't. I mean, that's how the world thinks sometimes. No. But, you know, to be able to track your lineage that way is really cool. But this ought to be exciting for all the rest of us. Why? Because God's grace has expanded beyond the Jew to the Gentile also. We're the result of that. We're the result of of Jesus coming to earth, working through the 12 disciples, and expanding out to all the world. We ought to be excited about this, you know, to fulfill the thing that God says that he loves all people. And the gospel goes to everyone. You'll even read that the, you know, how the, the disciples were very hesitant to go out to other people. They stayed in Jerusalem for a long time. And if you look back in history, you have the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. You know, everybody coming in for the celebration of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit just, you know, coming upon them. And, and so many of them just literally, I mean, it's almost like a star pattern. You, you, you read where they all come from in the Middle East and you just draw a line to the countries. And it's like... The, you know, just the Pentecost just exploding across the world. But beyond that, the disciples really kind of stayed in Jerusalem. And you know what it took to spread them out? See, we think of history and we think of, of um, <coughs> excuse me, we, we think of history and, and we don't connect 
what we call extra biblical history, other non biblical history. We read the Bible, and that's what you know. That's the history we. But but if we connect the other history, what happened after Pentecost a few years later? Well, many years later, but what really drove the Christians everywhere across the world? The destruction of Israel. I mean, the destruction of Jerusalem. The temple being literally firebombed. I mean, you find these huge rocks, and you still see the, the darkness of the fire that, that happened because these rocks were, were, they threw them off the side of the temple. We're talking about boulders. The temple walls, they literally just knocked them over and down the side, and they, they cracked the road, and, and you go there, you'll see the indentions of where these boulders hit, and they just buried them. They just put ground right over them, just started building the city up, up, and up. So nowadays you go and you see the temple wall, or you see the, the temple mount area, and, and, and you'll see civilization up here, and they've dug all the way down. And we're talking, you know, I, you know, I would say about 100, 150 feet. It's amazing. And you can even see the burn marks on some of the stones still there. But it took Nero destroying Jerusalem for, for really God's grace to go out into the world. God used a secular government to get His grace to be, get moving, to go out there, to have the truth spread, to have His mercy and grace and salvation to go all over the world. Now, we kind of moved two years ahead, so let's come, come back to, to Matthew here. Because at this point, the disciples are just, you know, going to the surrounding villages. They're just kind of going, you know, heading out to the places they've known, they've been to. And, and you know, Jesus doesn't go. He leaves them, and he, he, he says, you know, I'm going to send you out in teams of two. There's, so there's six teams, and they're exercising their new gifting. And this is dangerous. It's like, you know, taking driver's lessons for, for 18 months in a regular car or six months, or however long they do it nowadays, and then they take you to a NASCAR track and put you in a NASCAR car and say, go for it. Or they go to an Indy track, and, and all of a sudden you're driving an Indy car. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Just learning how to drive, and all of a sudden you got the keys to everything. I mean, that's awesome. You're going to see the disciples have a few crash and burns. But when they get back, they're just like, Wow. Wow. In a chapter, you know, in two chapters, they're going to say, man, this, this really works. And you see the rest of the time, what, what is Jesus starting to work on them with? Their humbleness. He gives them this power, this, this unbelievable, to, to raise people from the dead, to cure leprosy, to, to do the things of God. And then he has to come back and say, okay, let's start working on your humility now. Now that you know you can do it, let me turn you into the man that you need to be or the woman that you need to be to represent me in this world. He says to them, freely you have received, freely give. Guys, don't ever forget this. You have to give freely. Now immediately we think of what? Well, let me give out my wallet. He's talking about money. How much do you want? No, we're not talking about money at all here. He's not mentioning money. <clears throat> you know, whether we've been blessed financially or not, the idea is how can we share with others? How can we, how can we show God's love to other people? Now that is beautiful. That is something I want to teach my son. You know, I want to teach my son, you know, to, to share with other people, to, you know, if he has a little extra cash, to give to, to other people that are in need. If he, you know, if he has a, just a thing that, that somebody needs to borrow, then let them borrow it because it's just a thing. Those are great things I want to teach my son. But however, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not talking about money or possessions. Now, later on, he'll talk about money and possessions. But here he's talking about freely you have received grace. Freely you've received mercy. Freely you've received healing. Freely you've received, you know, truth. So freely give that to others that are around because that is what Jesus is about. See, all you have to do is this. Give as much grace to other people that God has given you. Give as much grace to other people that God has given you. Now, how are we doing on that, right? Piece of cake, right? I mean, just truly, just so easy, isn't it? I mean, it's not that complex. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. Simple instructions. 
You know, some people say, you know, I read the Bible and I just don't understand it. No, 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 that's not what it is. You read the Bible and you just don't like it. You see Jesus' instructions and you're going, that's impossible. There's no way I can do that. You've got to be kidding, Pastor Allen. For me to give someone just as much grace that Jesus has given me, that's impossible. Well, my response is, make an effort. Start on it somehow. Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus, Lord, how much time did you hang on the cross just for me? Put it in those terms. What did you go through just to cover my sin? Not every, <coughs> Forget about everybody else, but me. Lord, how many times did you forgive me? Seven times? Seventy times seven? How many, you know, how in the world am I going to be able to do that for other people? And Jesus says, I am going to give you the power to be able to accomplish that. You see, he gave them the power to heal. This is spectacular. He gave them the power to cast out demons. But you know what the real power is? The power of grace that he's given us to give to other people. And it's the hardest thing, in my opinion, to do. Freely you have received, freely give. Then in verse 9 he says, on your way out, do this. And he gives them all these instructions. And, and later on he'll give them different instructions. So we can't just take this instruction and, and put it on, on everybody who works for the Lord and so forth. This is for them at this time. And he, he says, do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for your journey or extra tunic or sandals or, or a staff. And you gotta be, the disciples have got to be going, what? <laughs> not even a coat? I can't take nothing? And Jesus is saying, follow my direction here and you will experience my provision." Sometimes in life, the Lord asks us to do this. And when we follow his instructions, he provides. And we are amazed by it. We're amazed when it happens. <clears throat> Sorry, I got something in my throat. Could, could somebody go get me a glass of water? Just bring it up here whenever. But Jesus is saying, just follow my direction here. Lord, I am hungry. I need a sandwich. Wait, they didn't eat sandwiches down there. Lord, I need a falafel. That's what I need. Thank you, Walter. I need a falafel, Lord. I'm hungry right now. Lord, you told me to come here. You told me not to bring anything, and I'm hungry now. And all of a sudden, somebody walks up and they hand you a falafel. That's provision. And then they say, hey, why don't you stay at my house tonight? And they're like, wow, which is so ironic because they've been out healing people, doing these miracles, and they're, <coughs> they're just amazed that people want them to stay with them. But this is how we are. Jesus loved the saying. He, he says it over and over and over again. Uh, we're going to hit a few of these soon, but uh, he says this about his disciples all the time. O ye of little faith, O you that have no faith. See, God wants to teach us something. He knows what we need. He totally knows what we need. He knows when we need it. And he promises to, that he will provide. Do you know that? I mean, it's a simple answer, either yes or no. You know, we can't be like the politicians. Well, and just give this long answer that means nothing. No, the answer is either yes, we know that, or no, we don't know that. Lord, here's what I need. And he says, I know. Thanks for finally realizing what you actually need and not all the desires that you want. But pastor, I didn't get it. Well, he also knows when you need it. When you need it. But I need it right now. I need it a month ago. Listen, if it's God's will and you've been following, you've been working in God's will, you've been following him, making decisions that please him, then you would have had it a month ago. You see what I'm saying? We have to follow him for us to receive his blessing. And then he'll give us exactly what we need when we need it. That's the way it works. Well, pastor, I, 
I don't like this. <laughs> What's interesting is God is so wonderful, he'll go beyond what we need. He will go beyond what we need. It's like Christmas. I'll give presents to my son. Does he need them? Well, it's probably debatable. You know, there's some, <coughs> there's some gifts or some toys that he's received in the past that are really kind of too young for him now that he would develop better if we, we got him, you know, a few older type toys and stuff. But that's still debatable. He has enough. But he'll probably get more than he needs. See, this is how God is for us. When we follow Him, when we walk in His ways, when we make decisions that reflect our belief system in Him, that reflect the way we say we believe, He blesses us. He wants to bless us. Now, if my son kept running out in the parking lot every time we go to Target out in front of the cars, I'm not going to bless him by buying him a toy at Target. You understand what I'm saying? If we keep disobeying our, our Heavenly Father... And we keep running out in the middle of the parking lot and getting hit by cars. God's sitting there going, I can't bless you if you keep doing this. In fact, I need to discipline you. Because you're not following my directions. You're not following my way. But God wants to bless us. God wants to give us these things. And I'm not talking always about material things. I'm talking about the the blessing of family, the blessing of, of friends. There's so much more than just, oh, I got a nice truck, or I got a new truck, or I got a this, or I got a that. So much more beyond that. When we walk in obedience with God, He provides. That's just truth. See, our obeying Him shouldn't hinge on, well, what's He going to provide me? It should be, am I following Him or not? Am I walking in His ways or not? Am I giving His grace out to other people or not? Sometimes God takes us through a time where he says, don't grab a coat, don't grab all that extra food, I will provide. Sometimes Jesus outsources his provisions for another reason. Sometimes he does this to humble them. You know, since I, you know, from the disciples' perspective, you know, I just healed your daughter and I need a place to stay, can I stay here tonight? I mean, that's kind of humbling, isn't it? Especially for the disciples. Since I just taught you the truth about eternal life and you accepted it, can, can you feed me? I'm kind of hungry tonight. Jesus also wanted people to see they were not doing what? Back there, counting how much they brought in. Oh man, I did some great healings tonight. Look at how much they gave. This is awesome. That's not what he wants. It was very healthy for everyone to see this. Very healthy. Then he says in verse 11 to them, Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and and stay at his house until you leave. You go to a place, you ask around, and we, we, you know, we think, oh, you go to Visalia, you go to Hanford, you go to... No, we're talking, these villages were small villages. Like, you know, a lot of times 1,200 people, maybe 500 people, maybe 100 people. So, I mean, people knew everybody. and So, so you would go in and you would ask around, well, who's worthy? Who's, who's a good Jew? Who's, who's a good, you know... You know <coughs> this is kind of a funny idea from, from the standpoint because we live in a day and age when we're not supposed to judge each other, right? We're not supposed to make any judgment on each other whatsoever. Yet the Bible says we should weigh each other's actions. Who is worthy? Now, what is, what is worthy in Greek is uh, axios, it means merit. And the root word is, is ago, and it means to, to lead or guide or to, uh, to direct. Jesus is saying, find the community leaders and talk with them. See if it works. If it doesn't, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a second, but it said in verse 12, as you enter the home, give it your greeting. Now, greeting is, is a Greek word called, it's Irene, which means, uh, which we, we, in modern day, we have the, the name Irene. It, you know, that, it means tranquility. When you go to a person's house, you're supposed to bring an atmosphere of tranquility to their house. You know, to the point of, they say something like, man, you sure do eat a lot, but, but we're so blessed to have you here. We want you to come back tomorrow night. 
You see what I'm saying? It's that, that idea of, of people want to be around you because they feel the blessing of God on you. And you're bringing the blessing of God. And in verse 13 it says, If a home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Now, I love the real Bible. You know, not the, the Sunday school Jesus you know, we, we grew up, and it's, it's really good that we're taught these things in Sunday school, but, you know, it's all about love, and, and unfortunately, the world thinks that, 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 you know, if we judge anything, well, we're just not being loving. Like, you know, Jesus told you, you should love, but the, here's the reality here. The Sunday school Jesus would never teach you to, to, you know, shake the dust off your feet, and you're thinking, well, what does this mean? Well, if you're, you know, Jewish, and you had to go to a Gentile village. Maybe you had business. Maybe you had something, you know, you, you had to go there. It's not really your choice. Well, you wouldn't ever stay overnight. You really would never eat there. You would never want to have a meal with him. You would basically do your, do your business and then get out of town. And when you left, you would shake the Gentile dust off your feet. It was the idea of you're not going to bring their culture back home with you. You're not going to bring their actions, their, their, their ways that didn't follow God into your household, into your community. You shook the dust off your feet. Jesus is saying, if the Jewish community doesn't accept you, just shake the dust off your feet. And when they see you, they'll say, hey, 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 what are you doing? This is a Jewish community. This isn't a Gentile community. Why are you shaking the dust off your feet? And they would say, well, no, no, you don't understand. There's a new rule here. Our Messiah says that if you don't receive us, it is not our responsibility what happens to your village. See, this is not the Sunday school Jesus. What he's saying is, this will make them think. You know, the ones that are on the fringe. The ones that are, you know, in the Gentile village and, and, and they, they feel something's different about this Jew and, and they're feeling the grace of God and they just, they can't call it the grace of God because they don't know what it is and they're following you all the way through and, and they're, you know, they're walking with you out of town and you're fixing to leave and they're saying, hey, we'll see you later. And they're like, well, what's the whole, why are you shaking the dust off? And they, and they tell them and they're making them think. They're making them think. You know, I had a conversation yesterday with some, some guys, and uh, they were helping me move some scaffolding and some other stuff, and, and we were talking about different styles of, of uh, ministry and different styles of worship, and, and, and you know, our, our style's a little more docile, their style is a little more out there, a um, little more kind of, I don't know, run down the aisle sometimes, and I'm like, that's just not you know, not my style of worship, and I'm not going to necessarily condemn their style of worshiping. Uh, we all have different personalities, but I told him, I said, that's not the problem that I have with your guys' ministry. The problem I have with your ministry is that it's all emotional-based, from my opinion. I said, that's what I see. I see the, the teaching and everything is so emotional-based, where I feel that we as a group need to become more emotional a little bit, I don't mind an amen here and there. I don't mind a, a laughter here and there. I get people all the time going, oh, that was so funny, that comment. I'm like, why didn't you laugh? Because it's so quiet. I don't mind, you know, I don't mind a little noise every now and then, okay, people? That's fine. But at the same time, I was telling them, I was, what I was trying to do is get them to think. I'm like, if it's so emotional based and you never get to the word of God, how is that doing for you? Because when the emotion wears off, where are you left? I was trying to make them think. That's the same thing as what he's talking about, dusting the, the, the or, 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 you know, du- shaking the dust off their feet. You're trying to make the other Jews think. Then he goes on in verse 16, it says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Huh. Is there another religion we can sign up for here? I mean... Could we at least be, you know, attacked sheep? Can we wear an outfit or something like a superhero? I mean, come on. No, so, so you mean we have to be sheep, like, meh, sheep. 
and you're going to send us out there around wolves because we understand what wolves do to sheep when they're unprotected. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Wow, I mean, Jesus, four animals in one verse. I mean, he's saying shrewd. The word shrewd means to be wise or sensible or prudent or practical. Now, the word innocent means to be pure, unmixed, uncompounded. You're supposed to be shrewd and innocent. You know, for some reason, a few of us seem shrewd and a lot less of us seem innocent, right? He's saying, I'm going to make you so wise that people will have trouble arguing with you because you're just right. Now, I try to tell my wife that that's the way I am all the time. It doesn't work. But those wolves will still turn on you. And just because you're right, just because you have the truth behind you, doesn't mean that they will accept you. doesn't mean that they won't attack you. I'm going to make you pure. I'm going to make you genuine. Now, have you noticed the, the wiser you get, the more, you know, uh, the more kind of skeptical you get? Well, I, you know, I let that happen to me once or twice or maybe 15 times. It's not going to happen again. I've been around that block before. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I've, I've, I've built friendships and, and people have just left. So I'm not going to build any more friendships anymore. I'm tired of it. I've dealt with that person before. I'm not getting, no, no, no more grace on that one. I've been there. I've done it. I'm wise now. We become skeptical. You know, the Lord wants to take that part away from us, and he wants to leave the wise part. It's almost like the fight is gone, and the wisdom is still there. Do you know some, 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 maybe some older people that seem like they're just so wise. And it seems like, you think I'm feisty now at, at, at all? You should have seen me when I was 20 years old. People couldn't stand to be around me. So feisty. And it seems like as I get older, kind of some of that fight, some of that, uh, you know, I kind of get, I'm not, it's not that, that's just not worth fighting about anymore. So I don't fight about it anymore. Man, you wanted to fight about worship styles? Let's fight about worship styles. Now I'm just like, if you want to worship that way, that's fine. If you want to, uh, that's, you know. And I'm not saying I'm all wise. I got a long way to go. But it seems like the older we get sometimes, the Lord takes out the feistiness and just leaves the wise in us. And we need to make sure the skepticism, the, you know, being skeptical and all, doesn't enter into that picture also. Because that's not a good mix. If we don't allow the God, you know, God, if we don't allow God to do this in us as we get older, we become less effective in His kingdom, less effective. But if we allow this to to happen in us, man, each year that goes by, we get wiser in the Lord, and that is the point. You can sit down and you can tell people things that no one would ever say to them because it's truth wrapped up in grace. When I worked at the college, I had relationships with some of, the, some of the college kids. You know, I was about 10 years older than them. And because of that, because we built relationships, I could sit down with a few of them and just say, look, man, you're screwing up on this one. Or I could sit down and say, what you're doing? I mean, I could say it outright because I sensed where it was coming from, because we had that relationship, because that truth was wrapped up in grace. We have to be that way with each other. And the wiser we get in the Lord, the more we can do that, to be wise and innocent. And in verse 17, it says, Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you. Oh, that's nice. They'll flog you in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 
I mean, this is awesome. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation where you just feel like at the end you're sitting there going, I don't know how those words came out of my mouth. That was just God. You know, that's an awesome thing. When God just says, you know, I put you here and I got you here. Don't worry about it because I'm going to work through you. And in verse 21, he goes on and says, Brothers will betray brother and father, will, uh, father and a father's child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. I hope that never happens in my family. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm will, uh, to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. He's saying you don't have to stand there and take it if you're persecuted. You can, you can go. You can flee. The important thing is you said what you said, which was truth, wrapped in grace, and you did what Jesus would have done. You know, sometimes we're just persecuted because we're an obnoxious person. Have you ever been there? I've never had that experience. Never. You know, sometimes we're just people attack us just because we're being obnoxious. You know, two years ago when, when I went fishing, uh, uh, one of the young guys, he, just right out of college and and not that he's just a know-it-all, because younger people tend to know it all, right? Exactly. All the young people are like, exactly. You know, but, but this kid, man, he was just obnoxious because he was such a know-it-all. Now, he got out and got in the real world, his first full-time job, and out in the, you know, he's working for an oil company. So the next year, he's a little more wiser. He wasn't so cocky as the year before. He, I figured he'd been knocked down a few pegs at his first full-time real job in the world. Sometimes we're persecuted just because we're obnoxious. And we walk away going, I'm being persecuted. No, you're being an idiot. And they pointed it out to you. Jesus is saying, you're not being persecuted because you're weird. You're being persecuted because you're standing up for what is right. Love and grace and truth and mercy that came out of you, and they didn't like it. A student is not above his teacher. What did they say to Jesus? What did, they, what did they call Jesus? What names did they call him? I mean, they called him every name in the book. I mean, I would say think of the worst thing you could think of, but I don't want you thinking of it. They called him that. And that's what you're going to get sometime. There will be tough days as a Christian, and we have to get comfortable with rejection sometimes. Jesus' first rejection came when? When he was a baby. They tried to kill him. And unfortunately, the result of that was a whole bunch of babies were killed, but not Jesus. His first public teaching in his town, they tried to throw him off a cliff on the edge of town because he called himself the Messiah. And for three and a half years, not a single thing he did was accepted by the religious people. Jesus faced rejection. Boy, did he face rejection. Man, I thought they were my friend. Now they've rejected me. I've, I've spent time with them. I've eaten with them. I've been in their house and they rejected me. See, the main reason we, we don't want to share Jesus is because of rejection. Isn't that right? When Jesus you know, says, get comfortable with rejection, Jesus knew and understood rejection. I mean, why did they cru- crucify Jesus? They didn't crucify Jesus because he healed people. They didn't crucify Jesus because he, he fed 5,000 people in, in this wonderful miracle. No, they, they didn't crucify Jesus because he raised people from the dead. Why did they crucify Jesus? Because of his words. He said he was the Messiah, and they crucified him for that. He spoke the truth that would set them free, and they got mad instead. And that was their choice. So if we suffer rejection because of him, remember, he's been through it. He understands. In fact, he goes on in verse 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them will, one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of the Father. When a squirrel doesn't make it across the roadway, okay, I'm from Texas. When an armadillo doesn't make it across the roadway, I mean, I kind of joke around, but at the same time, God cares for it. The difference is this, they're just animals. How much more does God care for you and I than the bird that dies? See, God sees everything. 
in the Amazon jungle. If a bird gets caught by a jaguar and dies, God sees it. Nothing happens in creation without his knowledge. In fact, verse 30, it says, Even the very heads, uh, hairs on your head are numbered. Every time a hair falls out, he knows about it. I mean, I, I'm sure he's got one huge Excel file on his computer. Oops, adjust one more down for Alan. He's saying, if I care about that stuff, don't you think I care about the stuff that hurts you? The stuff that you're struggling with? The stuff that bothers you? The stuff that you're dealing with? He knows what you're dealing with, and he knows what you're facing. So he says in verse 31, So don't be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. He's very clear here. He's very black and white. Acknowledge means to confess. Confess in the, uh, the original language means the same word. You're saying the same thing that God is saying. Yeah, Alan, I know you did that. And you're sitting there going, oh, no, 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 I, I did this, God. And he's going, I know. You're saying the same thing I've been saying. I've been trying to get your attention about that. To say the same thing. Disown means to deny. Do you want a piece of pie? No. Do you want a glass of water? No. Do you want forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ? No. That's what deny means. That's denial. Do you think people, uh, Peter thought about this two years later when he denied Christ? Not once, but twice, but three times? See, I don't know if he remembered or not that you know, Christ talking about this exactly here. But what is beautiful is that Jesus specifically comes and talks to Peter afterward and says, you know, and he gives him the grace and as Peter confesses. It's like he's giving him a second chance. He's giving him a third chance. And this is how the Lord is with us. He gives us chance after chance after chance to come back to him if we confess. Verse 34 says, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this is weird. Especially because we know he's called the Prince of Peace. I mean, go back to Isaiah. We, we sing about it every Christmas. You know, peace on earth, goodwill toward, toward men, and, and, you know, all the different names of Christ, and it begins with the Prince of Peace. So what's he saying? He's saying, I didn't, you know, I didn't come to bring, you know, the kind of peace that glosses over real differences. He didn't come to, to put the truth in the back corner and, and, you know, underneath the rug and kind of sweep it there so no one really notices that. He's saying, I came to bring real peace, and that peace will cause family to turn on one another. That's what the previous scripture talks about. For some to reject others for what they believe. You know, in biblical times, and even today in northern India, if you were raised Hindu and you convert to Christianity, you, you, you will be totally 100% rejected by your family. Why? Because that conversion is punishable by death. And if your family accepts you for converting to Christianity, then they will be put to death too. That's what he's talking about when he says brothers will turn on brothers and, and children will have their parents put to death. It's because he's saying they will be so afraid of the truth of God, they will literally put you to death because you believe in him, to believe in Jesus. Now, we don't really experience that today in America. In America, we're kind of like, well, you know, my brother or my uncle or, you know, they just don't like me because I'm a Christian. They don't put you to death here for it. See this in a very mild way. You know, some families split over religious beliefs, you know, and, and so many in different ways. You come from a Catholic background and your family, you know, we're Christian because we're Catholic and you start going to another church, man, the family is very upset about that. Why are you going to another church? They reject you because of what you believe and they'll even talk behind your back. I'm sure no one's ever experienced that at all within family. No one ever talks about, okay. So don't give in and just give up. You're making them think. Dust your feet off as you go. Because sometimes Jesus brings, the, uh, you know, the, uh, brings conflict sometimes, even in the family, because he wants people to think about what they believe. And sometimes it may be uncomfortable for years. And for some reason, Jesus is okay with that. 
if it gets them to heaven. See, Jesus will allow us to go through difficult times if it will affect somebody else getting into his kingdom. Isn't that awesome? And we think, oh, Lord, I'm going through this time. Stop. I don't want to go through this anymore. Lord, why do I have to be here? Why do I have to have this job? Why do I have to have you know, this income? Lord, why do I have to be in this situation? And the Lord's sitting there going, use it to my advantage because somebody is going to be affected for the good of the kingdom because of the situation you're going through. And then other times the Lord says, I'm going to bless you, uh, unbelievably so, and then I want you to turn around and give that blessing to other people and help other people along the way because they're in the place that you used to be. That's the cycle of what we call the, the journey. The journey uh, until we get to the heaven with, with our Lord and we stand in front of Him. Jesus is not here to make us comfortable. He's here to bring truth and mercy and grace and forgiveness in our lives. And then He says, freely you received, freely you give. Freely you receive, freely you give. Let's pray as they come back up and lead us in one more worship song here to to end Lord I pray that we don't get too comfortable in this life I pray that you open our eyes to your kingdom that you start us uh, start to uh, or you help us start to see your kingdom in a different way view our job view our our situation and a to- through your eyes That in the end, your kingdom is what matters. And people going to heaven is what matters. And people seeing your love and your grace and your mercy in a whole different view is what matters. And I pray that you help us with that journey. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May his mercy and grace just, just ex- you know, expound from you, just flow out of you to other people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.